What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. This is Gavin. Yes, I am here. Don't change the station. I know it doesn't sound like me today. I'm actually at home uh, with, I think, strep throat. But um, long story, anyway, I thought I was going to go and record a long episode this week, and it was going to be called Property Bites. And it's one of those episodes when I take you through all of the real estate and property investment news, everything that is going on in the market, because there is just so much going on in the market at the moment, from the uh, liquidation of Evergrande in China to the news that I read yesterday that Adam Newman uh, is looking to buy back WeWork following its bankruptcy. But alas, with my voice sounding as it does, I don't think I'd make it to the end of a long episode. And so I thought instead I will let somebody else do most of the talking. And so what I'm going to do today is introduce a guest. Now, this is a repeat guest, Jerry Alexander. I have uh, had a conversation with Jerry way back. Those of you who've been listening to the podcast for the last, since the beginning, we'll say, may remember I interviewed Jerry way back in the height of COVID. And that was, believe it or not, three years ago to the very, almost to the very day. And uh, that was episode number 40. And we're now on episode number 194. So I will actually put a link to that original episode down in the show notes if you want to listen back to that. But I always find these conversations where I catch up with a repeat guest, I always found them really interesting because you can see how people are responding to all the change that is taking place in the market. And uh, there's a lot going on, a lot has happened in the past three years. Now, from rising interest rates to how this flex office model is adapting, Jerry is super insightful as always. And if you stay listening, he does actually outline some of the missed opportunities that many investors um, overlook when they are assessing the office to resi conversion. And so you don't want to miss this one. Guys, without further ado, my conversation with Jerry Alexander. Jerry Alexander, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Gavin. Nice to see you again. It's good to see you. And uh, it's it's funny, the last time you and I spoke, uh, we were just saying there about three years ago, in the middle of COVID, lockdowns and things like that. Another era, another time. Another time, another era is right. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, is back then, we, you and I had found each other through Clubhouse. And Clubhouse, we were kind of ranting and raving about how great Clubhouse was. <laughs> when were you I, last I on you. it, Gavin? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have not touched Clubhouse, I'd say, in two years. Yeah. I'd say the last time I even looked at it. I, I had a look and I just thought, wow, yeah, all the rooms that I used to go to, they don't exist anymore. And actually trying to find anything, even just to listen to them, I'm, like, I'm just going to go and listen to a podcast. This is just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Change, yeah. It changed. But that, it, it, it was such good timing. It was, it was, such it good was timing. perfect timing. The thing is, is I, I, it's like we were all at home 
locked down and we so we had a lot more time on our hands and so the thought of switching on a bunch of people talking and just sitting there listening in it seemed like a good idea at the time like but now like we're just so busy with work like there's just so much to do and i think it's a consequence of the pandemic like there's a lot of work got sort of put on hold and then suddenly everyone wants to kind of get back and and so we're just finding like capacity issues. Like it's just we yeah. are flat out on across the board. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure we're going to talk about office space and and what's happening with hybrid and all that stuff and yes, working indeed. patterns and things. But it is it is interesting. Yeah, it seems that since COVID, there's not been a chance to take a breath. And and a lot of the time, you feel like you are sometimes spinning plates, right? Which is not unusual in our lives, but you're also sometimes spinning the wheel and it's not necessarily got the traction you would like it to have. Yeah, it's like just running around like a headless chicken being busy, not necessarily being effective. And that's the difference, yeah. For sure, but also just um, some expectations of customers and things are just quite different now, right? Both um, consumers and businesses. It just seems that there was more things changed in people's minds about um, service and what their expectations are and all that sort of stuff. And, and it is kind of difficult to get your head around sometimes. It is. It is. So, Jerry, let's let's just, in terms of a recap, like you and I were on episode 40 of the podcast. And so I'm going to put a link down below if anyone wants to re-listen to that. But uh, I'm also going to go and put the actual original video of you and I chatting back. I'm going to put more hair. YouTube. <laughs> My hair has thinned out a bit since then, <laughs> so nobody should look at that. But the um, the funny thing is, is just if you think about just how different it is. I mean, apart from the lockdown, the economic environment back then, you know, everyone was panicking about COVID, but interest rates were at almost close, almost zero. Mm-hmm. And in the interim since then, now there's five percent in the UK, more or less. I mean, what has that done, just in your view, like let, like to kick it off? I've already spoken to a couple of different guests in the last while that are finding the going kind of tough as a result of sure. this shift. How is it going for you? And, and what's your kind of view on the future? Okay, that that's a big open question, right? Isn't it? Let's just <laughs> my, my, so in terms of our business, we had... A portion of our, our our debt was fixed. A portion of ours was private debt, and then as a proportion that was uh, not fixed. And I and I took the view that the fixing added about another couple of percent or something. And I thought, do you know what? I'm, because we've got a balance here, I'll I'll let that ride and see what happens. And of course, it kept going right. Yeah. <laughs> so so there is pain there for sure and of course the other bit is the the whole energy stuff as well which yeah. we may cover later on so there's been a lot of pressure however um my business just to recap is more flexible space whether that is industrial or office or co-working and we tend to do our stuff on licenses which and I, I, I know you do some of this stuff as well Gavin but it means that within that 12-month cycle, you have got the opportunity to increase rates. So there is a time lag. So if your costs are going up, it might take you a little bit of time. It's that 12 months to go through to, to push up your your income. So our income actually has been going up very steadily. And this year, in, I mean, in any other year, 
if we'd looked at where we were at the beginning of this year and where we are now, we'd be really excited. But of course, it's all been eaten up by these additional costs, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that's been a challenge. But in terms of interest rates on a more kind of philosophical level, I just find the whole thing nuts. And the fact that our interest rates have gone up by as much as they have to tackle a problem that isn't really uh, something that you would traditionally treat with interest rates. So an example being um, the fact that wages have gone up. In, in the UK, certainly we've had our the, the working wage, et cetera, the low, the low level income, et cetera, lifted up. And I think the other day, um, Rishi announced that we're going to put the um, wage up to £11 an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, that's all exciting, but who's paying for that? Right. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. so all these things are going on in the background. And then obviously there was Brexit and then there was Ukraine and everything else. So all these external factors, some self-imposed, like the wage stuff, but you're just thinking to yourself, well, it's fine putting up interest rates, but actually there are so few people that are going to affect straight away that it's just not necessarily going to have the impact. Yes. What's going to happen down the track? I don't know. But interestingly now, of course, inflation has dropped below interest rates and it's not quite 1%, but nearly 1% different. And uh, my understanding is that if we go any further down, that will probably track around about 1%. But what I find a wee bit, and you maybe didn't ask me this, but I'll tell you anyway, the bit that I found really frustrating was two years ago, or in fact, no, sorry, summer 22, um, Bank of England governor said, right, um, for the next, you know, everything, we're all going to hell in the basket. And for the next 18 months, we're going to be in recession. So all the way through 2023, we're going to be in recession. And in 2024, at some point, we'll get back to a point where the, the economy starts growing or, or leveling out. And of course, that didn't come to pass. And, yeah. and I'm talking specifically about the UK, right? And then um, a few weeks ago, he says, um, there's going to be zero growth now and for the next, I can't remember what he said, nine months, 12 months. I'm like, yeah. either this guy's really smart and he's trying to talk down the market so he doesn't have to increase rates another quarter percent, or it's just really um, unresponsible. Are, yeah, yeah. Their prediction models are completely out. But it it's like just it. nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're struggling with this in the background trying to work out, well, actually, what's really going on? And trying to ignore any of these, I mean, to be honest, I think most customers now ignore the chat anyway, you know, because there's been so many shocks that now you're kind of a little bit numb to it all. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's frustrating when you've got this conversation going on because the Bank of England have taken this view that they're now going to give commentary, which I think started with Mark Carney, and, and you've basically got this commentary going on. And actually now you're thinking, do you know what? Just shut up. Please don't talk. <laughs> prefer ignorance <laughs> yes. please don't talk and tell us we're going to be in a recession for 18 months and then we're going to be flatlining for another 12 months when the reality is not quite like that anyway is that is that the question yeah <laughs> I mean, your I question just, it's it's like you know anybody i speak to is uk based is, is definitely finding a, a bit of a pinch out there it's it's like things are more difficult yeah i mean the ramifications for commercial obviously are are they're playing out slowly but yeah, you, there's only so long you can sustain uh, and expect a yield rate when interests have gone up to five, five point two five. It's yeah. going to have to change, and the only thing it can change then is either income has to go up or the price has to change. 
And to be fair, it's probably a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of predictions that prices will be falling. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we've noticed here in the Irish market is that a lot of people they were looking at like there's a massive housing shortage in this country. You're probably well aware yep. of it, and I know there's one in the UK as well. But ours is really acute and uh, primarily driven by the the 2008 crash and the fact that nothing was built for you know sure. almost a decade. And so we've got this structural uh, you know, demand issue or supply issue. And um, so whenever somebody's looking at property, like properties are not, the, there's no lack of demand for property. The problem is the affordability. Yep. And so you've got people that had a mortgage approval for, we'll say 400,000 or 300,000 or whatever. And suddenly the bank are saying, oh, by the way, that's expired now. And your mortgage approval is now, 275 or you know four 450 or whatever 350 it's dropped significantly down and the the developers that are building the sites are not in a position to drop their price by the 75 grand or whatever because their prices have actually their costs have all gone up they're they're funding the interest the same as everyone else and sites were probably purchased a couple of years ago in the boom times and construction cost inflation has been massive. So all of this stuff is kind of pushing. And so people are now having to adjust their sites. And so you you had your eye on a four bedroom house for your family at a certain price that you would, you could get a mortgage for. And suddenly you're being told, well, no, you're actually can afford the three bedroom house. And so people are having to kind of, re- but people don't want to do that psychologically. That's quite a step down from where they were mentally just a year ago. So that is the problem I think that that's a lot of people are struggling with, you know? Yeah, I, I don't, yeah, so talking about recap. So, I mean, my my main business is commercial. We don't really invest in Resi at all. Um, but the, the two are similar in that the costs have just gone nuts. And I've always found trying to buy a, a, a brown site or whatever and building commercial is really tight on margin. Yeah. So we we've always we've always bought I guess secondhand buildings, right? So if you if you go on the basis that it might cost fifteen hundred pounds or two thousand pounds, whatever the number is now per square meter to build up a decent quality stock, but actually to buy it might be three hundred, and sure you're going to have to refurb it, and that might cost you maybe even as much as a thousand, but still the numbers are a little bit more yeah. interesting. And when rental yield hasn't gone up as much as the costs have, you're now, because a lot of people would build for a margin of 10%, and, and I don't, 10% is too tight. Yeah. But yeah. now you look at the build costs and you think, it's actually, it's not, you're not possible to get 10%. So surveyors and values are starting to say, well, look, you know, you lock it in now and you just have to ride out for a few years and as inflation goes up, you know, you'll start getting up to making good margin. Like, That's not a great business model. I need, yeah. I need to build that in now. <laughs> so it, it's, a challenge, and of course, as you say, that psyche of well, going back to the resi, I want to, I need, I need a four bedroom house. We've got, you know, we've got three kids or whatever it is, and they've maybe even bought it, but now their mortgage is coming up for renewal, and it's gone from six hundred pound, seven hundred pound to fifteen hundred, two grand, and and yeah. I certainly know of people in in Edinburgh who in in the valuation market and the, the agents who are getting properties back from people who bought them not too long ago, put on a fixed rate, and now they're I come to the realization that I can't afford this now. 
I'm going to have to sell. So they just haven't put it on the market. So, yeah, however long it goes on, we don't know. And how much, it's all about that tipping point, isn't it? Supply and demand. But Mm. the fundamentals of the market are still extremely strong. I just don't know where costs are going to go. I I can't see them coming down. So I think we're going to have to wait till stuff catches back up. And let's talk about just in terms of you're you're in the office sector uh, like myself. Uh, although you have a different, you, you like we've got big corporate offices, yep. whereas you're more nimble and you're kind of renting it out more flexibly and things like yep. that. How are you finding it? Because we're really finding the going tough now at the moment, and yep. it seems that a lot of people that would have rented a floor from us are now looking at the flex offers and yeah. instead thinking, mm, let's take something like that. So we have to wait for the really big guys to come along rather than the mid-sized guys that would have taken, you know, a floor for 50 staff or something like that. That option is is probably better. It seems to be more attractive from the flex operators, although we were going bust probably has knocked a bit of a hole in that maybe. Well, it, yeah. I mean, they've done their job, right? You know, they've, they've, promoted the sector i mean the the the, the company that used to stand out as the pr- promoter of the sector was regis and yeah. then we work came along and and those that are, don't really know regis um don't understand that you know they've got three four thousand locations around the globe they're far bigger than we work ever were but in terms of valuations they just they're chalk and cheese so the mark the sector has been going for a long time but what i find interesting is when you're talking to an agent if you're thinking about getting into you know somebody's maybe thinking about getting into commercial property and they're thinking right i'm, I'm offices i know about offices i've rented an office for i'm going to start doing offices right and so they naively go and speak to an agent and say right i'm thinking about buying some office what do you think about this one and it's maybe in dublin somewhere or wherever and the agent will probably turn around and say oh i wouldn't bother with office space it's far too much um there's loads of vacancy and it's really difficult to let space right now. If I were you, I'd stick with the resi. And to an extent, that's true. But you have to remember context because these guys are asking that. They're asking that question is too open because actually in the office sector, there's some major growth going on. Yeah. And there's some set parts of the office sector that are really struggling. And sometimes you'll go, you'll maybe drive past, particularly in office pavilions out in kind of like in. Um, business parks, sometimes you drive past and there's two or three that are completely vacant, shut, maybe the odd window in, and then there's one next to it that's completely buzzing. And you're like, what is the difference here? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and it's often because of the model's just a different model, right? And our typical size of office, I mean, our, our largest office would be maybe seven or 8,000 square feet, right? So a floor. But generally we're renting between 100 square feet up to five or six hundred. That's kind of our bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's for guys and girls who want a space for maybe five or six people max. They're needing something flexible. They don't quite know what's going to be happening in 12 months' time, let alone five years' time. So they'd rather have that flexibility, but obviously that comes at a bit more of a premium. Yeah, yeah. So but the other thing is, a lot of these um, companies, and you're talking there about corporates, but even some of the smaller ones, they're like, how do we get our, how do we get our staff into the office? So they're trying to be more creative about how they build their space out to make it more attractive. But actually, if you're in a flex space, that's the job of the provider. 
Yeah, no. So it, it's that whole gym membership thing, right? Between you and I, we might be able to afford a few bits of equipment, but actually between you and I and two or 3,000 people, we can afford all the equipment we want, right? We just share it on a membership basis. And that's really how our office model is now. We, we try and focus as much as we can with our language and everything else on members. And that yeah. and everybody comes and shares those facilities, but they have their own private space, but they tend to take less private space because they don't need a tea point in it and a toilet and everything else because actually that's shared in the other part. So yeah. we, we can derive a little bit of a higher premium, I guess, because of that. There's kind of like an arbitrage in there. But it's just interesting that the larger corporates are, are they definitely were pulling out and still pulling out of some of the bigger office spaces, but they're still needing to house people. And, and during COVID, going back to that time, I do remember there was lots of discussion, particularly on LinkedIn and places I looked, about, you know, is the office dead, right? The office is dead. Everybody's going to be working from home. But typically that was written by somebody who's probably a white male in their 40s or 50s who could afford to work from home and had a spare room to work from home. But what about the 20-year-old or the guy with yeah. three kids and has no spare bedroom? You know, maybe working near a home but not necessarily working from home. So in our, even in the flex-based market, there are some operators that are struggling because they're city centre and some regional that are doing really well just because of what I we're just seeing mentioned. Some, yeah, we're seeing a lot of change in, in the way the places are being used. Like some of the big tech companies that are in our office space, some of them are bringing everyone back five days mm -hmm. a week now. So it's interesting to see that. But others are not interested at all and are like actually giving up entire buildings that they don't yeah. use any longer. So it's a very, very different approach. Now, it could be underlying business is like different for these guys and maybe they've, you know, they've changed direction or something like that. But one thing that hasn't changed is professional firms like architects, engineers, things like that. They absolutely have to be back in the yeah. office because it's a team collaborative kind of thing. And also, they're employing graduates. How do you learn and, if you can't shadow someone? Yeah. Yeah. You have Impossible. to shadow. And that's, and it's funny. I've heard actually that some of the law firms that we work with have said that um, now that everyone's kind of coming back to the office, they really notice the difference between somebody who was uh, like just out of college during COVID and somebody who's out of college now, because even though there's about three years of more experience, technically they should have, they are at the same level knowledge-wise because they haven't been shadowing anyone for the yeah. for any longer than the other one. So that's really interesting. And and then certain businesses, it's funny, we there's one particular business that was growing rapidly. I think they hired like 60 or 70 staff during COVID. And we were like, wow, these guys are like an engine of growth. And uh, of course, what happened? They, they, got, they, they got taken over. They, there was a merger recently and all of a sudden they're laying off staff left, right, and center. And it's really, it's kind of like, God, you just don't know. Like literally yeah. wait a year and the and the model will have changed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I think Flex is here to stay, right? And so if, do I, yeah. You know, if we look at our uh, two two peculiarities that we're kind of leaning into now. One, Monday and Fridays are tend to be a little quieter. Right. So Much people quiet. are coming in more for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we're maybe trying to do some things to encourage people to come in or at least more of events and stuff. On do those you know what they're days. called, by the way? What, the, the two bookends at either end of the no, week? No, no, the, the people that come in oh, right. in the middle of the week, they're called twats. <laughs> 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually going to put something together on LinkedIn for that. But the uh, I'm the sure funny thing is that. <laughs> we 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 are we are seeing that like in our business park in a big way and we've actually we've we've pivoted quite a lot into experiential kind of stuff we're yes. putting on events during the week and the whole idea is that huger numbers of staff are kind of like thinking now that they've had a taste of not having to commute they're kind of like you know if i'm commuting say an hour somebody might live in one of the regional towns kind of outside of dublin you got to come in for an hour and then go home for an hour. If you do that five days a week, that's 10 hours that so you've long, spent, yeah. you know, commuting. And you've got to give people a reason to choose coming to the office over, you know, not spending that time commuting. And so we're, we're putting in gyms, we're putting in new sports facilities, we're putting in, you know, a lot of different things just to make it more attractive. Yeah, as the provider, but it also makes, yeah, so it makes it more attractive for the the blue chips to actually come along and say, we want space for you because you guys are providing all this, yeah. So so the second thing that we've noticed that we're, we're also leaning into is the fact that there are companies that have downsized, they've not shut the office, they've downsized the office, but they've still got the same size of team. So what was happening was we'd have people coming to us, new, new customers saying um, there's 10 in the team, but we only really, you know, we just need an office for maybe four people mm. and um, and they won't all be in at the same time. So don't worry, you know, we're, we'll, you know we'll, we'll be fine. We used to rent out office as an office. That'd be it. There you go. There's the office. It's whatever. It's a thousand pounds a month, whatever it is. And Starting to notice this, notice this type of inquiry, we change into the membership models really helped there because what we do now is sure it's a team of ten, you want an office for four. Here's the office for four. So the office for four costs the thousand pounds or whatever it is, but then there's another six members that need yeah. to use the facilities, right? So you would charge for another six memberships, which allows you to turn an office that was maybe generating a thousand pounds into maybe fourteen hundred or fifteen hundred or whatever number it is you pick. Yeah. Which is nice. quite quite interesting. So although you you know there was potential of having space coming back to you, there was also potential for space making more money than it used to. Because yeah, yeah. of the way That's that the demands changed. Yeah, it's an interesting twist on it. We're we're actually speaking to uh, a flex operator about yeah. Creating a facility in our place. You haven't, you, you haven't picked yeah. up the phone, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. You know, sorry. it's funny. Uh, I've actually signed an NDA, so I can't talk about <laughs> who they are. But the uh, the the interesting thing is that I actually do think it will be, uh, I suppose, a benefit to the park because we have got a lot of people now. One of the one of the big issues we're seeing is that so they've given up space, and it's a little bit like the problem that you're saying is that. They don't need, you know, we'll have a person that had a, an entire floor, we'll say, and they had so many staff. And now most of the staff are on the road or working from home. And so only they only need half the space. So they yep. give back half the space. But then they want on Wednesday or Thursday, they want their all hands kind of when everyone comes into the office, they yep. don't have the space for to accommodate them now. So the you need to create like overflow or overspill space. And so it's kind of like a, a town hall type area where people can actually congregate and yeah. but they have to pay for that. You know, it's more, yeah, you're you're starting to have more of a blend into well, like you said, you, you you're having to provide more facilities, but it's almost so now you're starting to become a venue. You know, you've maybe 
I don't know whether you have any on site doing food and bev, but you know, you start doing that sort of stuff and then you've got the gym and all yeah. that. And and it's the differentiator you need now from the traditional market because yeah. it attracts those larger landlords, but also those smaller businesses too. I mean, so really, I mean, it's a great, I find it quite interesting and, and it's a great sector to be working in because it's just more dynamic. The only side, the only downside of that is it's less passive because you've got to be more. You basically now you're 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 trading and you're running more of a business than you would as a traditional landlord, where you've just got leases yeah. in place and send us the, that, the money every quarter. That's what has us so busy is that we are now active in a whole bunch of areas that we were never active in before. Like we just, you know, we had a we have a couple of courts, playing courts like tennis and stuff, and. It's just an automatic booking. But now we're putting on boot camps for fitness and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, you're running around (laughs) organizing all this and tournaments. That's the next thing. Now we need to organize a a football league, intercompany football league. Um, But it is, it's a very interesting. um, And tell me this, one of the things that uh, we've noticed, and I, I suspect, although you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect that you're not seeing it as much but the whole greening of real estate and environmental stuff. And now I see that Rishi Sunak recently announced that they were postponing this whole shift to the energy performance. They were going to bring it from F up to C or something for residential. Yeah. And they've postponed that for several years now. And yes. I guess it was probably because with, with the interest rates, like you're going to force people to go and spend money on upgrading. But in the resi- in, in the commercial sector, we are really finding it, you know, difficult to kind of decide like what to do with space because the cost of bringing a place up to one of the higher energy ratings is pretty cost prohibitive. You know, it's yeah. like we've we've looked at we have a building that's empty now, and we're currently looking at it, and we're scratching our heads. We've looked at every, I think we've looked at six different potential schemes now, whether it's a light touch, whether it's replace the external skin, you know, new windows, everything like that, whether it's replace all of the air conditioning system with brand new systems, and whether it's just, you know, listen, just upgrade a few bits and pieces and just like put it back on the market. And we've gone through so many iterations and still hard. Nobody is prepared to pay extra money for the green space. But we're being told by our agents, if it's not green, nobody will rent it. And so it's kind of like, so we have to spend all this money just to stand still. Yeah. And it's very it's interesting. I, yeah. I'm curious, are you experiencing any, anything like that? So, um, yes, not, I would imagine nowhere near the extent you are. Um, I actually had somebody on my podcast, um, who was talking about their office offering in London. And how much it's made a difference and how they're getting a premium for that type of space now by delivering much better ESG and that their corporate clients are really asking for. And it's it's a, and they're actually winning work or winning um, tenants through the fact that they've, they've really upgraded. But for us, where we are maybe on the sort of second tier, we've got some corporate clients, but very, very little. But we do have customers that work for them. And as the ESG stuff becomes more and more 
of a focus from the corporates and they start looking at scope two and three when they're looking at the suppliers, that's when the catch-all is going to be there. And, and I think in Scotland or in, in, in the UK, the NHS has said by 2030, whenever it is, we, we need all of this stuff, we need it all in place. So that we definitely have customers that supply NHS with services or whatever. So yeah. it, it's starting to come through. The, but the other part, the, the challenge, I guess, is, Governor, is that there, there's this stick slash carrot coming at us. And and although the government are pushing us to improve things, there's definitely going to be, particularly from your customer base, this demand for that change. And ultimately, when they are taking more office space, because we have to remember we're also in a flat market right now, so it might be skewed. But those guys, um, those companies, if they can't find that type of product, they're going to be in a real bind because they must meet these targets, these companies. Yeah. So the problem is we're reading it against a backdrop of vacancy. So the agents, sure, they're saying, saying you know, you must get all this stuff done and somebody will come in and pay the same rate. But actually, when the market is different, that that will really allow you to drive, I think it will allow you to drive a much higher margin. But at yeah. the moment, it's, it's kind of more a survival margin, right? So it's a bit difficult. Yeah. It is difficult. One of the things that we found, which is it's very frustrating, is that the banks were driving this in a big way because they have their own corporate social responsibility policies and stuff. And the banks would be coming out and saying, you know, our entire loan book will be green by 2030. And so they're saying to us, if you want us to refinance your next you know, loan, it better be by 26, it better be fully green or else we won't be in a position to finance it. Really so we green. were saying, okay, we're reading the tea leaves here. We better get moving. And uh, then we go back to them recently and say, okay, you know, we're we're going to, you know, to do this big upgrade on this building. Um, presume that's okay with you guys. And they're like, uh, actually, no, just pay down all the debt. That <laughs> It's yeah. like, we don't want you to spend any money greening the building at all. We'd just rather you put that into paying down debt. And, uh, so it's, you know, they're saying one thing, messages. but doing something completely different. Yeah, when That's we did a refinance, um, actually this time last year, there was a minimum EPC value that they put on it. You know, we're not going to fund it if it, I can't remember what it was now, it might have been a D or something, you know, not not horrific, but, you know, we're not, we can't refinance if it's not at this level. So you're just like, right, yeah. we need to get a new EPC, because we've done a lot of redevelopment in that building. It's like, oh, we need to get a new EPC, let's hope, <laughs> let's hope it's Well, a it's D, funny you it say was. that because... In in so like I we have some government uh, or sort of semi states in in our park and the there's a new rule that they must all follow and that is that they cannot enter into a new lease unless it's unless it's an A three wow okay. and uh, and if they're renewing it must be B I think it's a B two yeah you guys have the We're B different, plus yeah. plus plus or whatever yeah, yeah. we have. A one is the best you can get, and then it trickles down from there. Yeah, but um, it is it's tricky, you know. It's it's you what, know. How, what, are, what are your um? What are the buildings mainly heated with? We have got old uh, boilers that are oil or not oil, but gas fired. Yes, yeah. And they're sitting up in the attic, and they they heat radiators and the perimeter yeah and then there's an air conditioning system now those are some of the older some of the newer ones that we built because uh, the park was developed over kind of about a decade so the older ones versus the newer ones the newer ones have uh 
heating and cooling in the air conditioning system. Right. Okay, right. So it's electric. Yeah. And well, it's not is... electric. It is. It's the air conditioning system. Oh, still got hot water fired by gas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're all like, if for us to get our building as green as possible, replace all the uh, lights with LED. First thing you can do. Second thing is put in a huge amount of photovoltaic cells on the roof, and then the third thing would be, although it's hugely costly, is to replace your entire. Uh, heating and cooling yeah. plant with electrical. Yeah, um, and uh, this is the topic that I'm starting to hear the phrase electrification yeah. of buildings, of real estate. And at some point, we know the co the only common denominator here in energy is electric, right? So it's just how you produce that electric. And the government have got to do their part of making the grid green. Yeah, but we've got to do our part in the consumption we're taking off it. But the electrification of some buildings is going to be really yeah, really probably. challenging, isn't it? Just you were saying there about um, LEDs. So some a stat that we actually managed to pull together recently, I, I can't tell you the full details of how much we spent because I don't actually know, but we have gone through a process of putting in PIRs, LEDs throughout our stock as we've gone on. One of our buildings, which has had it for about nine months to um, 10, 10 months now, the saving... On not on the costs, as in the energy costs, because obviously they're all over the place, but in terms of the actual energy usage was 13.8% on the building. The building's about 20,000 square feet. So 13.8% reduction. The occupancy, if anything, is higher than it was. So that's a fairly good figure now we've actually managed to pull out. Now, the other buildings I don't know yet, but it, it's interesting that that investment, I mean, you can do the numbers on your own buildings, right? But basically... Whatever our costs are, we've managed to save thirteen point eight percent. And how much yeah. does it cost to in, to invest in that? And I think the return on that is probably going to be two, maybe three years. It's not going to be that slow. Yeah, no, pretty I, quick. I've looked at this in in quite a bit of detail, and there's a couple of things. First of all, PV cells in the roof. If you go and put those in, there's a four year payback on that. Yeah, and so um, that seems like a worthwhile investment. Four sure. year payback is good, and you also get the the ESG credentials, obviously, of having photo cells on the roof. But then the other thing is I remember putting in LED lights into a car park building that we had. And um, there was seven floors and we just replaced, there was guys coming in all the time and they were coming in and saying, we'll go and put in all of the, the light fittings for you. We'll do it all for free. And then what we'll do is we'll have a seven year contract and you'll pay us 50% of the of the saving over yeah. seven years. And I said, oh, sounds reasonable. Another guy came in offering the same. Another guy came in offering something similar. And I remember thinking, yeah. everyone's <laughs> at me with this. There's got to be some <laughs> angle there. Yeah. So I went out and I looked into this. And in the end, I went and I put in, I, I went and I bought these LED bulbs from China, had them shipped to the car park, and I had an electrician go around, install them in the existing fittings okay so the the fittings that were up in the roof yeah all we did is just take down the old uh halogen the old you know kind of tube and put up this new one and so there was the cost was about eight thousand and the bill in the first month fell by two thousand yeah and so this <laughs> thing fully funded itself in less than a year and these guys were going to be sharing seven years of savings like yeah, yeah. so it says a lot yeah, there's definitely um, 
lots of things we can do to improve our stock. But the whole electrification of commercial and residential is a big, big topic, isn't it? And we don't. There's definitely not all the answers out there yet. But it, it that's the travel. That's the direction of travel, isn't it? And we've got to yeah. be mindful if that's where we're eventually going to get. And when you're looking at taking on an old building, or which I tend to do, and you think, right, if I put gas in here, is this really going to be a long-term solution? Putting aside the environmental stuff, right, just is it actually commercially a long-term um, benefit? And you're just like, well, I don't know. But if I put an electric and uh, whatever form of heating that the electric is, is helping support, you, you know, you're trying to do that calculation on, well, right now, it's not making viable commercial sense, but when does the tipping point come? And that's yeah. the bit we're all trying to work out, isn't it? But it's and as well as that, it's not just the the thing that we're seeing is it's not just energy savings; it's carbon cost. You know, yep. there's a this whole thing about you know we want buildings now to be zero carbon emission and zero energy, and so it's you know it's a mine it's a minefield. To well, try if to they don't have a grid, if the grid isn't green, then we might as well shut up shop and go home yeah. because we're never going to be able to get our buildings to that zero. Some of them, I mean, we've got city centre one, right? It's got no ground around it and the roof's maybe 2,000 square feet, um, but it's a six-storey building. You're never going to you know, get enough yeah. energy there. You're going to have to produce it somewhere else, whether we do that or somebody else does, and that needs to be green. So there's a part of this equation that we can't control that that needs to be provided by the government, but ultimately, yeah, we're going to have to. I mean, the, the you know the scenarios think, are just a nightmare, aren't they? We've I, got to do stuff yeah. about it. No, I've heard. I mean, I mean, first of all, reading the paper today, like this whole thing about we're going to be hitting three degrees in you know the planet Earth, that's pretty you know bad. And then on the same you know paper, I, I turned to the business side, and it was saying that the that all of the green projects they're working on are not being, you know, not as successful as they should have been. They're, they're, the, the, the time for them to for adoption is much longer. So people are... Connecting to the grid, yeah, all yeah, these challenges. There's all of these kind of things. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a sudden wake-up call when people are, you know, all of these extreme weather events that we've seen over the last, you know, in the last two years, we've seen an awful lot of extreme weather events. And you kind of wonder at what point does somebody kind of connect it and go, you know what, we really do have to do something about this. Yeah. We, we're, we're fortunate. We, we put in biomass in quite a few of our locations. And although that does produce CO2, obviously it produces CO2 burning the timber, but in terms of net contribution, there is an element to be taken account of for transport, cutting, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But it does reduce our carbon footprint. But we're on, we were on 210 tonnes a year of CO2 that's kind of your base point to start working down from. And it's you can see ways of reducing that by maybe 10%, maybe 20%, but reducing yeah. it by 100%, that's not feasible. That's where other sectors need to come in and help. But ultimately, um, we've all got to fix this. <laughs> There's no getting away from it, right? Well, one thing that you're doing, Jerry, that is interesting is, I mean, you're taking old buildings that are kind of obsolete, or certainly that's the conversation we had in the last one, that you, you've, you've taken buildings that are, you know, historical or dated and obsolete and, and repurposed them and yep. brought them back. And that itself is actually something that, because I had a conversation with one of our, one of the planners here in Dublin recently, and they were saying to us that unless you have a good reason to demolish a building, we're not going to permit it because the embodied carbon 
in that original construction project is just, it's too much for you to go and put it all into a landfill. And so unless you can show us, you know, demonstrate some sort of rationale to do that, then we're not going to buy it. We're not buying it, you know. There was um, that really, well, there is that really high profile one in London where the Marks and Spencer's building on Oxford Street, where they're putting in for planning to knock it down. And they're like, no, no, this is going to cost far too much carbon over the long term. And you're hearing, and it totally makes sense, right? But but sometimes these things are not always joined up. So one metric they're using over here doesn't quite match with this one. And, and my view is we, as <laughs> citizens, <laughs> need to do absolutely the best we can. We've got to try and navigate our way through this. But ultimately, yeah, I think repurposing old buildings makes sense to me. And and our model works quite well in, in repurposed buildings. And also taking life cycle costing, however way you do it in terms of carbon, is is absolutely the right thing to do. What's difficult for us as investors is really to read the tea leaves properly when when some of the facts have got all these not facts some of the information we're presented with comes from lots of different sets of context so it's really quite challenging isn't it but ultimately mm-hmm. we, we've got to do something about it or we are doing something about it and one one of one of our things was right let's find out how much carbon we're producing here across the estate which is what we've done and now let's start picking off the low-hanging fruit led lights PIR sensors, better heating controls, maybe trying to um, reduce the hours that certain things are on in coinciding when people are in, just getting a bit smarter about that. Yeah. But then, of course, the other one is you mentioned there's generation. How do we generate our own, right? Um, yeah. And and Or at least use a source of heat that is less detrimental to the environment. So there's all these little things. And ultimately... Over the first two or three years, we should be able to get some good wins. Hopefully, but yeah. the harder and the further you get on, the harder and harder it's going to be, right, to make those incremental changes and improvements. We've been looking at this exact thing in in our business park. We have a a shuttle service that we put on for our tenants, and we ship people from the park to the local DART sta- the the train station or the the uh, the the trams the tram line called the Lewis, you know. And everyone loves it. It's great. But the problem is, it's an old diesel bus that we bought yeah, back in 2014. And it's it's a pretty, you know, it's a bit of a guzzler, you know. Yep. And uh, you kind of say, wait, well, if we're going to hit carbon zero by 2030, that has to go. So I was looking at buying a uh, an electric bus to replace it. And it is exactly double the price to yeah. buy an electric bus. And so there lies the kind of the rub. Suddenly you're into like, Okay, everyone, are you okay with like us spending twice the amount in order to kind of tick this box, you know? And that's where everyone has to kind of come on board because, you know, everyone's looking for cost cutting and, you know, rationalization and all this kind of stuff. But sometimes you just have to say, I'm sorry, but this, we have to do this and it costs money. And therefore we all have to just pony up, you know? Yeah. But there's that going back to the carrot and stick. There's definitely going to be customers when the market settles out a bit. There's definitely going to be customers that are, have to pay a premium. They're like, we need a building that ticks these boxes, so we're prepared to pay whatever it is. And and that's going back to that that conversation I had with the the providers in London. That that's what they were experiencing because the market there, especially in flex space, when they're competing against other flexible operators, mm, yeah. that 
if the other competition didn't tick those boxes, they just they weren't getting a look in. It's just right. Well, you're removed from the um, from our possibles because yeah, you're not yeah. ticking that box. Well, it's funny you say that. One of our one of our tenants is a company that goes after a lot of work uh, with government departments and stuff. And I heard them recently inquiring about electric vehicles. And I was like, why the sudden interest in electric vehicles? And it was because they had gone after a contract and they had lost it because they didn't have an electric fleet. And uh, they were like, they thought they were absolutely in the bag winners of this contract. But it was on the basis that they didn't have an electric fleet that they actually lost enough wow. points to, for somebody else. And suddenly it's like, right, every everyone is driving an electric car. Because, uh, I mean, these contracts are worth so much money to them yeah. that like replacing your fleet uh, is, is an afterthought compared with that. You know what I mean? I have to ask you, your charge points. You you did make me think about this when we spoke about this before. Um, well, you didn't have any charge points. And I thought, right, okay, we're going to have to get loads of charge points in the car park for it. And then you pointed out, well, actually, most people charge at home. And if they're coming to work, they don't need to charge there. They go home and charge again, right? So you don't need to provide everyone with charge points. But there are some that are maybe out on the road or salespeople, et cetera, that are out and about doing different things. The only other thing is whether they're sharing pool cars at offices, which might have an impact. But just we've put them in now. Um They've been relatively well taken up. The only point, the challenge was our electricity bill went up and therefore the charge we were putting on was quite high, but that's we've now booked in a new cost for the new year. But anyway, how is that going for you? Is that still your experience? That Yeah, you- there's there's definitely, I mean, you've got people saying that they want to, they want their staff to be able to come to work and to charge their cars. And they also want to give it to their staff as a free perk. Mm-hmm. So they want to put in their own now so that it can be just given to their, their staff without having to go through us and having to pay and stuff like that. One of the problems with this stuff is it's managing it because somebody comes in, somebody in our place, we have car parking is all allocated right. and people pay a rent per car space. And if you drive in and you don't have a space allocated to you, one of the tricks is, oh, I'll, I'll plug it in there and, you know, just charge it for hours, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's not that's not allowed. Like the there's actually, you have a two hour max and things like that. But in order to actually get enough juice in two hours, you need to have high powered uh, electric chargers and things like that. So we've run into some difficulties with that because we wanted to put in really high powered that could charge a car in 30 minutes. And so people could actually drive in, charge up the car and leave and the problem is, is that the cable pull was so expensive that it was nearly doubling the price of the entire yeah. installation just because the distance to the nearest PowerPoint. So there's an awful lot of nuances to this. Oh, there are, yeah. yeah it's yeah. challenging, isn't it? Yeah, so the substation is a wee bit, I mean, you need to build your own substation for that. <laughs> this is it. And we have to get to a landlord's substation uh, as opposed yeah. to a tenant substation. And so that, you know, changes the dynamic again. And it is. It's. It's. It's all. <laughs> it's all in flux. Like you know. It's. I mean, I, what I wanted to say. I'm looking at the time, Jerry, yep. and I guess we should wind things up. But I was going to say, like, um, you're a flex. Uh, you're in the flex office space and stuff like that. And there's an awful lot of people coming to me saying, you know, offices should be converted into residential. There's an opportunity there. All this kind of stuff. So, 
Why don't you make the case for offices as a commercial landlord? Oh, I see, right. Do you know that's a great question? I so so my my main thing is is helping people with I mean obviously we do it ourselves, but also helping people who want to do commercial property. And a lot of people, their default position is they go and find a commercial property and their default is I'm going to convert this into resi. So they go and do all their numbers on resi. It's a cookie cutter approach, right? And they have a look at it often at shops and uppers. So they'll say, right, um, some retail on the ground floor. If I do this and that to their retail, great. But actually the real money's upstairs. If I can convert it, how many flats can I get out of this? So they go and do all their numbers. And then if it doesn't work or they can't quite get the planning to work, whatever, they're like, oh, well, next project. And they never even crosses their mind to look at it and say, can I make this work as a commercial project? And we actually did one city centre where the the um, competitors around about us had done a few buildings up and they'd converted them to resi. So I hadn't actually, to be fair, thought of doing it as resi. I actually approached it the other way, right? I thought, well, how will this work for doing offices and shared space and venue space and all that sort of stuff? And we went ahead and did the project. And then I thought, I'm going to do the numbers, actually. Let's do the numbers on Resi. So we did the numbers on Resi, and it turned out that after tax, right, because most of the people, when they do Resi, because the yield is low, the only real way to crystallize your money is actually to sell it. So you develop out all the units, and then you sell them all, because actually a 5% yield is not great, right? So they sell them, but then that crystallizes tax. So I did all the calculations, and we thought, well, in a year, if somebody or two years, if somebody developed out this particular site that we did, they might make a hundred to two hundred grand, depending on if the wind was blowing in the right direction or all those different things, right? And if they could get every unit to work. And this building makes that every year as a commercial let building. And we haven't yeah. had to sell it. So you know, it's just that thing about that single-minded thing of right, oh, we must do it in this way. Whereas actually refurbing buildings is all about working out what the best optimal use of that building is, not going in with one strategy. I say that, but you know, I haven't gone in and done resi when maybe that was the right thing to do, but that's not really where our expertise is. But it does make me laugh that often people say, oh, I'm going to go and start doing commercial, but actually what they mean is I'm going to try and buy a commercial building and convert into resi, because that makes sense. But actually Often it doesn't. Financially, the numbers can work really well on an annual basis. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, I think that you've made a good point there. And uh, I think we'll we'll start wrapping it up. Has anything um, changed in the last three years that we haven't discussed today that you think we should mention? I think the context is something that, that's becoming, is something key that I keep looking at. When people are giving me or the papers or the news are giving me um, feedback about the office market or the resi market, I've really learned I need to look at the context of where that person is coming from. Because if I pick up the Sunday Times and read about the current state of the market, generally, they're talking about the overall market. And actually, it's all about your local market. And where you invest. And although some people, sure, they might be investing in a specific niche of retail and the big the big demographics do make it are important, but actually often private investors, we're not in that market, right? Yeah. It's all about where you are. So take everything with a pinch of salt. And these just remember these guys all have a different context and sometimes different motivations for the things that they say. And you've really got to take all that in 
but make your own mind up about where you're investing locally. So I, I don't think, I, I, yes, all the plates have changed, and the, you know, but actually the fundamentals are all still there, Gavin. It's a great market to be in. It's just making sure that you're being a little, I guess maybe we just have to, I've just learned you have to be a bit smarter or pay more attention and understand what people's underlying motivations are before you take that as gospel. I guess that's probably the main thing for me. I think that's a great way to finish up. Jerry, good to see you. Do you want to tell people about your podcast? I mean, you've mentioned it the first time, but you're still going strong. 250 episodes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, um, I can't believe we're at that stage. I mean, you and I were talking about that earlier on. It's how do we have so many topics, right? But these, these set, there's so much to talk about, isn't there, right? Yeah. And in this conversation, you could have picked up just ESG and run with that with 200 episodes, right? So yeah. <laughs> there's so much to talk about. But yeah, our, our podcast is Commercial Property Investor Podcast. It's really aimed at helping people who are looking at moving from resi into commercial, not necessarily into commercial converts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jerry, great to see you again and uh, stay in touch. I look forward to hearing about your next project. Brilliant. Thanks, Gavin. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jerry. I hope I can make a return to the normal recording voice next week. Um, in the meantime, if you did enjoy this video, please give it a like or share it out with anyone who you think found it useful. Um, I will talk to you in the next episode. And until then, take care. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the join my tribe thing over on the right hand side this will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter all of these links are in the show notes below that's all for now i will see you guys in the next episode